0: Welcome to the Creation Innovation Podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth King. Together, we'll have conversations with incredible human beings who have taken their creative outlet and turned it into something innovative. From people leaving the corporate world to be eight-figure entrepreneurs, to people who have created books, created a family, or just creating to have fun in the world. We are all in a journey to create something amazing in our lives, and I hope that you find some inspiration of your own here. This is the Creation Innovation Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back today. I'm super excited to speak with Dr. Whitfield. We met at a conference, my gosh, I don't know, last month. seems like forever ago already, actually. Um, He's a board certified plastic surgeon in Austin, um, does laser and energy treatments, which I am super excited to hear what that's all about. His philosophy is simple. He always takes the time to do it the right way. Thank you for being here, Rob. I'm super excited to have you and and to talk with you today, mainly because part of what sparked a conversation that we had when we were in Arizona was, obviously being a specialist in fertility. And it's something came up around our conversation around implants and the different aspect that implants can have not only on our health in general, but just in lots of different ways. So um, I know after our conversation, I know you do so much more than than implants, of course. But let's jump in there as a starting point, if you don't mind. Tell us some of the things that because it is so common, that people don't realize the effects that they can have. I know I, I think I have about three friends right now that have recently had them taken out just because they're like, I'm kind of done with this. I don't want to be dealing with right. this anymore. Um, are you seeing that as a trend in your area or not so much?
1: Well, for perspective, I did about 20 years of just oncologic reconstruction. Okay. So my background really is in cancer. Mm -hmm. And that's the way I trained. I always did a small amount of cosmetics, but I taught at a university. And then in uh, private practice in a group, I did more oncologic reconstruction uh, when I moved to Austin. And then in about 2016, I had a breast cancer patient come to me and she was just like you mentioned over having an implant. She was, you know, she had retired at that point, relocated here uh, from the South and just didn't want her reconstruction anymore.
0: Relocated I her... to Austin from the south?
1: Like deep south.
0: Okay. I'm like, where I'm from, Austin is Georgia. <laughs> okay. From okay.
1: Georgia to Austin. Okay. Um, in any event, um, I did her surgery and it went very well. And um, at her follow-up appointment, um, I was really, really happy that she didn't have any evidence of recurrence. Because sometimes you'll find that when you remove these. But what I was really unhappy about is that she had an E. coli infection. And so that was pretty startling to me. I mean, um, I had prided myself on never missing cancer, uh, but I'd missed an infection and I do all my own consultations. I don't delegate those. I do uh, review everything. So I went back through all of my information and I was like, I could not for the life of me understand like how I missed this. But basically... think of breast implant illness as inflammation and what drives inflammation. We have a device, but if that device has any contamination on it, biofilm from bacteria or fungus, you just have a real ignition in your immune system of inflammation.
0: So it's just always an underlying thing that's happening in your body based on the fact that it's, it was put in there with something bacteria or something on it already. Is that what you're saying?
1: So there's three ways. Um, So I don't know forensically how that gets there in in the initial uh, phase. So you can either get it at the time of insertion of a device, whether it's a hip, knee or breast implant, you can get it from contamination in the, you know, device uh, transfer from staffed surgeon, or you can get it from hematogenous spread, which is like somebody goes and gets a colonoscopy, but doesn't have antibiotics, and it infects their hip or knee implant or their breast implant. Or oh, someone gets dental work done, uh, dental work is a very, very common way that people used to get problems with heart valves mm-hmm. because you would do their work. And when you stir all that bacteria up around their, uh, their teeth, there's a lot of anaerobic bacteria just in general, they get in bloodstream and then that would uh, coalesce on prosthetic heart valves and give people basically um, endocarditis. So These things are all like common, like everybody knows this, but it seems like there's a little less emphasis put on this as it relates to breast implants in a cosmetic situation. Now, I personally can go back in my history of 20 years of doing oncologic reconstruction and remember operating on people who had implants for breast cancer reconstruction Uh and had problems and they would come to me because I didn't actually do that many cases for implants i did a specific microsurgical technique called the diep free flap which just takes your tummy tissue and makes a breast out of it and so that's what i was known for nationally and we in the area regionally so people would come for that and i would convert them from a maybe a contracture from a, a implant based reconstruction or a painful reconstruction or uh, some, I remember one gal in particular, she came with a bunch of redness on her chest. Like she was having a big histamine reaction uh-huh. and uh, some people are super sensitive to things. So I did her case at the conclusion of the case, all the redness was gone because the device was out. The capsule was out. She had her own tissue in place
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that's probably the first time I ever really took care of a problem like that. Mm
0: -hmm. And it just
1: didn't, to me, it didn't register that that was what we call breast implant illness, but that was more of a mechanical issue with a systemic response. So she had tightness and pain, and then she had this redness. And to me, it was just histamine. Like, it wasn't an infection. And back then, I didn't do what I do now. I do quantitative PCR testing of every sample. So I have over... 800 PCR tested samples, which is the largest, uh, certainly in North America for breast implant illness. And there's a large majority of those who have biofilm and bacteria, you know, particularly acute bacterium acnes, which is found in high concentrations on our face, our chest, our shoulders, infects at a, I shouldn't say infects, causes biofilm of both shoulder prosthesis and breast prosthesis. It's what I find most commonly. Okay. And that's, I mean, that's the, you know, instigator mostly.
0: And so what is the actual definition of breast implant illness? I actually have never (laughs) heard that term before specifically. So
1: there isn't one.
0: Okay. But according to Dr. Rob,
1: (laughs) according to me, it's inflammation. And so when I give a talk and I say, I, I'm going to talk about breast implant illness. I say, I just pose the question, what is breast implant illness? And then on my slide, I say inflammation. And then the second point is a medical device is only one part of that process. Because inflammation, as you know, dealing with uh, clients of different varieties, they can have an environmental toxicity exposure. I, in particular, in Texas, deal with a lot of people with mold. I consider everybody in Texas, Florida, Hawaii to have mold, California probably as well. So there's lots of detoxification issues that are genetic. And then when combined with an environmental exposure, plus a device, you can imagine how your body reacts. So it becomes, you know, that, that prodromal phase before you get a big infection. So you may have fevers and night sweats. You may have exhaustion. You may have anxiety. You may have depression. You may have chest pain, shortness of breath. You may have GI problems. I mean,
0: And is the only way to know that, though, is if that's removed to to then say, oh, it was because I had breast implant illness because a lot of people have a lot of those things. Right. Right. So how do they correlate that directly to that without how would you know that?
1: So in my program, I do genetic testing and I do functional testing to see which of those things can be contributing to or causative in relationship to the device. So certainly, the device itself is always a portion of inflammation. There is no device that's ever been placed that hasn't caused inflammation. Right? Any knee prosthesis, hip prosthesis, uh, breast prosthesis, shoulder—what it doesn't matter. Like
0: it's a foreign object inside your body. That's one hundred percent. Yeah.
1: So okay. your body walls it off. That's why it forms a capsule around it.
0: Now, speaking of the capsule, I've heard many people say my breast implant is leaking, but it's in the capsule, so it's not a problem. How can that not be a problem?
1: Right. So there's very different versions of devices. So this past week, I took out two sets from the 80s. So that thing leaking inside you is not good. Doesn't matter where it is, because the tech from that time, obviously in 1985, is from 1970, whatever. Did it and, seem,
0: just a side note, was it, did you feel like I'm t- touching a vintage piece when you took them out? Like, was it, did it seem different than what you see now?
1: Well, yeah. So the, when I started training, um, in the two thousands in plastic surgery, we were still dealing with implants for the nineties okay, and taking them out of people. Um, they were ruptured. They were a mess. They were mostly Dow Corning, uh, implants. And that's what these were when I took them out. Yesterday. Now okay. those devices typically all degrade because mm. the shell technology was su- just super inferior, as you would imagine, in 1970 sure. and 80.
0: Uh-huh.
1: So okay. one set was completely devoid of an outer shell. It was just ruptured, leaking silicone. Mm. OK. And so what happens in the body most of the time is that is extremely reactive and you get almost a eggshell or a firm shell around it. Now, that I think causes as your body tries to protect itself a reduced amount of inflammation systemically. And this is just my experience. I'm not I'm not telling you anything that I have published or anything like that. The the other is if it's if if it's a thin capsule and that stuff leaks, then it's out in the tissues. And so it it's it's always a little like for me, anything past 1990 something, I consider to be ruptured. So I always approach those all the same way.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, you know, the goal is really to take everything out entirely so you're not actually exposing tissues to more of that um material. Mm-hmm. Um so I do my best always to take everything out entirely yesterday or yeah, yesterday I did those two cases and I got, you know, everything out entirely. And, um, you know, sometimes you can have big silicone granulomas, these huge hard spots and those are very painful to patients. And sometimes they're very self-conscious. They don't want to come see anybody about that and they mm-hmm. just kind of live with it. And that's, they can't lie on their, their chest. It's hard to get you know mm-hmm. comfortable so there's a lot of you know issues that go along with these things because obviously you got a device to enhance the breast form and now there's problems with it so that that creates a lot of issues.
0: And with somebody that has autoimmune situations that cause inflammation in their body already, what comes first, chicken and the egg, or do you ever actually? know that right yeah
1: so it goes back to my cancer train, really like those patients if they came to me and said oh, all right elizabeth go see rob for you know uh reconstructive consultation if you had those in your history i would take implants and move them away from you and i would tell you like this is not ideal for you based on this right if you already have immune system activation it doesn't make sense to put something else into your system
0: right right
1: And I never did a lot of implants. I took care of a lot of implant problems because of my reconstructive background. So I could get everything looking uh, as aesthetic and even and symmetric as possible. But the the issue is over time, those things all develop more issues. They're not they're not ever just going to be magically fixed because I took care of the aesthetic issue. So um, I basically over the past uh, few years haven't done any implants. Um,
0: I, that was going to be my next question. Talking to a plastic surgeon, is it strange to say, do you, do you do implants often or no?
1: No, I don't do any at all anymore. I take them out. Okay. So basically it fits basically my reconstructive background. Cause that's not what I did as a reconstructive surgeon. I corrected problems with implants. I didn't place them. Uh-huh. Um, if someone had a need for an implant based reconstruction, of course I would do that. It was just, mm-hmm. There are so many other plastic surgeons who do that versus what I did from my microsurgical technique with my training. I was too busy doing those things and it would be hard to even come see me for the other.
0: Right. Okay. So when we started talking, it said energy treatments. What is, what is an energy treatment?
1: So basically I've spent all these years trying to come up with answers for breast implant illness and, mm-hmm. Really concordantly, I've tried to find ways to prevent scarring by using devices that are minimally access uh, through skin, you know, like two millimeter openings, to tighten the the skin of the face or the breast or the arm or the knee or the hip or the thigh. And uh, I'm proud to report that coming in 2023, we'll have uh, basically a way to change how your face ages forever. You'll be able to have a facelift with no visible scarring.
0: Okay, let's hear a little bit more about that. How is that even possible? Is it so, really? So,
1: yeah, I mean, it's what I said, like for six years I've been running this, you know, breast implant illness kind of journey. And concordantly with my private practice, I've been on this, I, I really don't like scars. Like I always was bothered by how a facelift scar looked or how, a Tummy tuck tummy tuck scars to me are literally the worst scars outside of an arm scar from a brachioplasty. Like tummy tucks, a big linear scar in a woman's abdomen to me is just I wouldn't want it. So I wouldn't yeah, you to have I
0: have a, a C-section scar that I had to have revision because I had so much scar tissue and it literally right. looks like a, a tummy tuck scar. It's basically side to side. And I'll right. tell you it's not it's not fun. <laughs>
1: But so that, okay, so for instance, hardest areas to take care of on the human body. I will specifically, because 96% of my patients are women. So what do they come to see me for? Jowls, necks, arms, bra fat area, uh, lower abdomen after kids, with or without C-section, hip thigh area. So rapid growth and puberty, which is standard with women. And they get stretch marks, that area becomes lax over time. They may or may not have kids. They, you know, expand and contract with that. And then thigh skin becomes lax, the knee skin gets saggy, crepey. And so these are all areas where there was never a solution that was super like impactful. And so I had all these energy based therapies basically with radio frequency skin tightening. And, and radio frequency has been around forever. Like yeah. it's it's not new. Mm -hmm. Bipolar radio frequency is actually the thing I focus on because it's extremely safe. It's extremely effective and it's got a lot of control for the operator to the point where you can't really cause a problem if you're following just simple guidelines. So you can't create a thermal injury, which is a burn. Um, The point is heat always helps tighten. Tighten. So if you reach a certain temperature, you will always tighten skin. Now, as our skin ages, plus 35, our collagen goes down and our elastin goes down. Mm-hmm. So what happens? We we look more aged. And if we didn't pick our parents right, we look a lot worse. Mm-hmm. So as you move forward in the what I consider to be the biggest underserved treatment group, 35 to 55-year-old women, because they're not usually appropriate for facelifting. They're not appropriate for... Um, arm lifting typically um, thigh lifting no because i abhor all those scars so now what i do is called a no-cut facelift so there's no scalpel involved Mm -hmm. and i've done all of my facelifts and all of my minimally invasive facelifts and neck lifts under local really since covid because i had to because i couldn't go to a surgery center and operate Mm -hmm. and i did a lot of that anyway so it was was not a hard transition so I anesthetize your face with the solution that we've used for our facelifting and get everything completely numb. And you're awake. You can have nitrous. You can have a halcyon. You can just take a nap. It's and can hilarious. you
0: choose, though, to still do it in a surgery center? If somebody's you, like, mm, I don't want to hear anything, I don't want to be awake.
1: You, yeah, you can. There's some limitations with how I can work. Because remember, if there's a breathing tube in place, that means an anesthesiologist or some anesthesia provider is near me. So they're in my way and I'm taking care of your face. So on a facelift, it's different because you're moving the head side to side and doing these things. On this, I I do it in a way where I fill the face with the solution that numbs it. And then we separate the tissues, which is critical. We want to get into the layer that I need to tighten with the device called FaceTight. And so FaceTight helps the deeper tissues really shrink down towards the muscular layer, which is where everything belongs. It belongs tightly fixed up against the muscular layer. And once that's done, you know, if someone has uh, or needs uh, contouring of the jawline or the neck because it's full, um, we'll reduce that. We'll thin it with liposculpture. Um, A neck lift is done in patients who have what's called uh, visible platysmal bands. On profile, what changes our profiles are our platysmal bands hang down and our skin follows. So if we tighten the skin without correcting the band, the band will look worse because it'll be tighter around that little band. So I will do a minimally invasive neck lift. Uh, I call it the zoom lift. And basically it's done through just small two millimeter openings with a fiber optic light and a uh, suture suspended to it. And it's really simple to do. It's a very eloquent uh, solution to a a very, you know, standard problem with aging that doesn't give you visible scarring in line of sight at all because all the openings are less than two millimeters. And then it becomes, you know, variable what I'll do afterwards, but to do the no cut uh, facelift. To take skin out without leaving a scar is really the non of this. And that means I'm going to use a device called Elacor, and I'm the only provider in Central Texas with Elacor. So basically this device takes skin out and the openings uh, that it leaves are less than a half millimeter. And so anything that's a half millimeter or less just heals without any visible scarring as you approach you know, closer to a millimeter, like I do when I do hair transplants, that donor side or the, where you take it from, you'll see the little like scar. It'll be a circle. Okay. But because this is so small, think of like, if somebody go get, uh, gets a venipuncture, gets an IV, it's the same type of thing. It's that small that it's going to heal, but you can take an inch of skin out per side on the face. So just imagine you will Always do what you just did. Everybody pulls back, right? But really what you want to think about is tightening.
0: Uh Because
1: the vector in this is going to be taking from these areas. So they're just going to heal naturally. So they're not going to look unnatural. There will be no hook in the mouth appearance. There'll be no tension appearance. It'll be extremely natural. For the first time, you'll take skin out, no scar. You'll address fine lines, wrinkles, things that even facelifting does not do.
0: How long is the recovery on that?
1: It's 3 to 7 days like all of my minimally invasive lifts.
0: And it does it matter cuz I know when I had spoken to my doctor he basically said the skin is too thin. So even if you were to do that, you need to do like some sort of uh laser or something prior to get and I, my opinion was, I don't know anybody who's done laser that has come out and to say like, I've, I can notice so much of a difference. Right. And like my, whatever. So is that a thing from your perspective of like, uh, thin being too skin being too thin to do that? Cause I noticed once I had all my children and gained lost weight and whatever, my, my Body did my face did look very different than sure. it did once I was heavier, right? Um, and now that the eight, I aged at the same time, it really affected a, a different look for me. Um. So what's what are your thoughts on somebody who says that?
1: Sure. From a so basically, when you want to like be really granular, I get your genetic testing done. And I look at your estrogen metabolism. And so you're either estrogen dominant, you can switch back and forth or you're androgen dominant. So if you balance out hormones, you will get some of that dermal thickening back. The The other thing about skin thickness. Okay. So that's basically when you're talking about facelifting. If someone's worried about thin or thick skin when they're facelifting, that is of concern because the quality of the skin is going to be paramount to getting the result. So they are guiding you in a way to say like, tap the brakes here. This is probably not the way to proceed. The beauty of this is thick or thin is not the issue. So you simply set the parameters of the device. And we don't go around an eyelid because that's the thinnest skin on the body. So, but everywhere on the face, two to three millimeters is basically fine. Mm -hmm. And that will remove the, you know, quote unquote excess where people really want a jowl treated. They want their nasolabial fold treated, but really you really want to do the face. Like I've tried to explain this to folks. Like when you do something, you want to create harmony. So you want to treat the whole Area at the same time. So when I do facial rejuvenation, I'm always doing full face and neck because that's what you see. Right. And if you if you get all that in harmony, then you know, can I turn the clock back to when somebody was 30? Well, I'm always trying. (laughs) The appearance change is different based on how someone has aged. But the beauty of this is I can do all that at one time. And then I'll put my non-invasive device called evoke on. The jowl area, because we really want to tighten the jowl area as much as possible at one time, because that's where we experience a lot of aging. So that concludes that treatment. That's a one time uh, treatment. Now, if someone has more uh, skin laxity, they want more treatment, they have more lines, w- whatever the case may be, beyond that, you can just do an a la carte treatment of just where you're doing the skin excision, which is totally fine. Um, And some younger patients won't need that whole uh, combined process. But when someone's trying to get between a facelift and something that is minimally invasive or, like you said, laser or something like that, this will work in a way that no one's ever had before because actual skin will be removed at the time you do all the other minimally invasive treatments. So you'll tighten, you'll remove, and... You know, it's hard, like most things don't excite me in plastic surgery because it's pretty stagnant. Okay. It's excisional surgery. Like this is not excisional surgery. This is leveraging everything I have. Like I have a lot of devices with artificial intelligence. This actually removes skin without leaving a scar. So you can just adapt this all over the body. They're approved for the face, but I already do minimally invasive arm lifts. I already do a great cellulite treatment. This will actually take out portions of stretch marks. Nothing's ever done that before.
0: Yeah. And just the scars themselves. Like in my case, that's where I would have a lot of issues, right? Like I had nerves in, intertwined with my scar tissue from my C-section that was pretty painful for, you know, over a year. So to have something happen with no scarring, I think you're eliminating one aspect there and in and of itself, right? Because scar scars itself can have their own set of problems too, I think.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So any linear scar can become hypertrophic and can be painful. It can have or precipitate nerve symptoms depending on its its location. So really you know, I don't ever put a scar on somebody without a lot of thought about what I'm trying to do for them. And if it's not going to help them, then we're not going to do that. And everybody's concerned about downtime. Everybody's concerned about Mm -hmm. linear or visible scarring. So I've just given you the Holy grail.
0: Yeah. About where, what to do, where to go and how to have it happen. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so two things one about going back to the breast implant illness because i know that so many people are walking around with breast implants basically oblivious to any fact that this may be having on our body because i will tell you no doctors that i know are saying could that be because you have a breast implant like it's not something sure. that comes up from a gp or a gastrointestinal doctor or something right to correlate those two things but when you when someone has them removed how soon and i, I know it obviously depends where everybody's different but mm-hmm. at what point would you say okay it's been a year since it's been removed we know that that's not from that or is it potentially that inflammation or whatever was going on elsewhere in your body could have now started its own process because of that and regardless of whether or not you take out the implants it doesn't matter am I making sense
1: yeah so I I think overall what I do now strategically is answer these questions up front so basically I look at your genetics and I have a lot of uh, relationships with companies that use genetics but I settle on a company that uses functional genomics the DNA company and there basically, we're looking at four immune pathways for breast implant illness patients, for patients with enhanced aging or inflammatory issues. And so it's our vitamin D pathway, methylation pathway, glutathione pathway, and our antioxidant pathway. Typically, what I see is two or more hits in those pathways where enzymatic function is limited from their genomics. So they may have not enough copies of the genes. The genes may be mutated and they're not functioning properly. The, they, they may not have the gene at all. So in that setting, you have to know that. Otherwise, when you do that patient surgery, an explant with or without anything else, they will not recover for a very extended period of time because they can't. Mm -hmm. Like everybody talks about detoxification. I'm detoxing, blah, 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 blah. Okay. You poop, you pee, you sweat, right? The pathways that get the toxins out of your system have to work. If they don't work, that doesn't happen. And you stay in the same cycle, despite me taking this out, right? Because your your pathways don't work. So I may have done a great job, but I didn't complete the process by answering those questions. So if someone has a mold exposure, which is common in Texas, I try to make sure that I understand that. So I ask them a lot of questions about when did you first develop symptoms of breast implant illness. Where were you living? What kind of work were you doing? Were you renovating your home? Did you work in a place that had mold? I tried just to be painful about like figuring that part out. Because once you have that, then you have a whole different issue to take care of. Because a mold patient who has breast implant illness is a much more complicated patient. Because they're not just going to recover magically. They have neural inflammation half the time. They have edema. That's you know, not just inflammation from a device, but inflammation from a mold exposure.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: they can't detox typically, and that's why that happens.
0: So, if somebody were like myself in California, and you're in Texas, are we able to do those blood the blood work prior to coming down there in order to kind of get the lay of the land of what sure, Your sure. DNA and all of that sp- stuff is beforehand to know yeah. that is this even an option, sort of thing? Yeah, we what work. You're with,
1: with? We work, uh, well, anybody can visit my Shopify store, Dr. Rob Solutions, and oh, great. all the testing is actually on my store. <laughs> so awesome. I, I have people buy tests all over the country. Um, and we have clients about 60% of my clients are from out of state. I've taken care of most people in Austin now, like now it's more like people fly in and, and will visit and hang out. And they've typically not like you pointed out, not had a provider recognize the pattern that I'm describing and they're frustrated and they've spent a lot of time and a lot of finances have gone into it. And, you know, if I just listen to them, you can almost hear their genetics when they speak. Yeah. So,
0: Well, I have a friend that I'm thinking of right now, who is a previous cancer survivor 27 Mm -hmm. years ago, um, had implants after the fact and has crazy undiagnosed, um, autoimmune issues and rheumatoid arthritis and all of these other things that she was told would happen because of the levels of chemotherapy she had and whatnot back when she had her cancer. But she also has a leaking, um, implant that it was told that it's fine because of where it is and so now all these pieces are coming to play for me of like oh my gosh this like when i tell you that her legs and everything are blistered like to no end and no dermatologist no You know, nobody can figure out why it's happening, but it's obviously a giant autoimmune thing saying, like, I am on fire. Something is happening. And now I'm like, the light bulb's going off of like, oh my gosh, she needs to talk to Dr. Rob.
1: So the last thing always is the skin. Like your body will tolerate a lot, but when it's at its end game, the skin starts showing everything. And I had a lady with a full body rash, eczema, like, this lady wanted to crawl out of her own skin because, like you said, it just feels like it's hurting or on fire wow. all the time. And as I operated on her and took her first device out, it started to recede. Wow. So that's a true, almost like allergic type situation. Mm-hmm. And it's rare that I see that that quickly. Right. Um, but that's an example of really systemic immune activation, you know, everything is switched on, but that person also has genetic problems and your friend will have them as well. Yeah. Uh, Typically, you know, methylation problems run rampant in society, but we don't really recognize or correlate um, as much as we should. What's, what's actually going on with that. So everybody's heard of MTHFR, but MTHFR is really one of five enzymes that handle methylation and if you have insufficient copies, or switched on pathways, or or non functioning pathways, you can have symptoms like your friend is, is exhibiting
0: mm-hmm.
1: that are related to methylation, with or without you know a, a vitamin D problem or a uh, glutathione problem or an antioxidant you know issue as well.
0: Right. And we obviously talk about mthFR quite often in my world of fertility, right? That's right. kind of one of the things with recurrent miscarriage loss and right. all that sort of stuff that we we ask them to go get tested for in that regard. But it's interesting to know that there's so much crossover in the way that our body operates. And I was just at a medical conference a couple of weeks ago, a reproductive medicine talking about, Age is really not the issue around the the egg health of people having children at an at an older age. It's the inflammation around the bodies that happen at an older age. And the more that we're now knowing around how to prevent inflammation in our bodies as technologies come around and whatnot, that's why we're having children at older ages where that age thirty five is not really the age anymore, unless you have a very unhealthy system and you're in a situation of mold and all those other things, right? That's causing your body to be inflamed. But, um, I'm so happy to talk to you. I think that this crosses over so many things. I'm super excited about this facelift situation (laughs) as well. Um, so thank you for being here. Where can people find more out more information and what, tell us a little bit about what is on this store Shopify that you have.
1: Right, so basically, you can follow us on Doctor, so Dr. Robert Whitfield on Instagram, and then I have two different sites. I have breastimplantillnessexpert.com and I have drrobertwhitfield.com. My Shopify store is Dr. Rob's Solutions because really, what I've tried to do my entire career is just provide solutions. So, you know, the PSA for your your crowd is, your is if if you have breast implants and you have problems with fertility, you should probably have a t- discussion about that.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: because it is exactly what you said. It's a problem with inflammation and reducing that will create an environment where maybe you won't have
0: problems. Right. All your cells in your body are functioning at a better rate if there's less inflammation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for all that you're doing and being a pioneer on the edge of technology of everything in this realm. I think oftentimes people think a plastic surgeon like, oh, again, boob lifts and whatever, but there's so much more to it. And just the fact that you're taking it in from a holistic perspective, I really appreciate and I'm grateful for. So thank you again for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Creation Innovation Podcast. Make sure to follow us on Spotify for free episodes and subscribe to the creation innovation podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you choose to get your podcast. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast wherever you're listening for a chance to receive a special gift. Yes, we actually do send out gifts. It's my favorite thing to do. So visit us at elizabethking.com backslash for more information on how to enter every review counts and we are so grateful. You can follow me at the official Elizabeth King on Instagram or TikTok. Until next time.